Go ahead and get your Bibles open. Acts chapter 3 and 4 is where we're going to be today. I, I said earlier in the announcements that I'm so thankful that New Vintage is as flexible as it is. But among the things that I think are the most core to our gift mix, um, what God has kind of uniquely gifted our church with, I think even from our inception, is boldness. That sounds strange, right? Boldness is, uh, sometimes people mistake it. They say that somebody does something reckless and they say that was bold. Sometimes somebody speaks without a filter and they call that boldness. That's not it. But in the last years, um, our church, which started with a very, very small group of people who kind of all just kind of recklessly, we'll put it in quotes, decided to leave what they were doing and start something new, and then through a sequence of challenges, keep wrestling, keep grinding, keep doing, keep following what God wanted us to do. And doing that year after year after year, those of you who are here that maybe came with us in that, that first year, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, in some ways, the struggle of the last 12 months is uh, patty cake compared to some of the other struggles that the church has faced. But if the church doesn't have that, that courage... That, that trait that the Holy Spirit provides that says we feel called by God to do this, and so even if the cost is extremely high, we're willing to do it. Sign us up, we'll do it. Now, Acts will tell us that, yeah, only, only the power of God can change the world, and I'm going to say today that based on the story we're going to read, one of the claims of the text is that only the Holy Spirit can give the church the boldness that it needs to do what God wants them to do. There, that there is no way for you to go ahead and, and pursue things that God has called you to do because they're too scary. Without the power of God, Saul and his army stare across the ravine at Goliath, their knees knock, and they're done. He can't do it. But with the power of God, a little shepherd boy with a slingshot named David can sling rocks like nobody's business. Do you see the difference? We're going to see in our good man Peter today that the last time he was pointed out, oh, hey, 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 I know that guy. He, he was with Jesus. That the last time that happened, Peter denied Christ. Not once, not twice. Three different times. And today, in front of the whole council and in front of the whole stinking church there in Jerusalem, not just the church, I mean the temple guard, everybody, they go, oh, yeah, Peter, John, we recognize you guys. You were with Jesus. And he's like, and? Where does that come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit of God. So when somebody comes to a church and says, hey, you know what, if you guys do this, I'm talking about the grand project, I hope this doesn't terrify you, but it's standard par for the course, the Solomon Foundation, when we were talking with them about the grand project, and they said to us, okay, here's what you can expect. You're going to lose 40% of the church and half your staff. But we're just moving a few blocks. We know. You're going to lose 40% of the church and half the staff. That's your checkpoint where you go, most churches would say, well, it's not worth it. We're going to back away, unless you feel like God has called you to it. In which case you say, as we did, if that's what God has called us to, then we're going to go ahead anyway and trust that God is going to keep us together and give us what we need to get through it. And he has. So as we look at this story this morning, I want you to understand something in no uncertain terms. That when a person 
demonstrates courage or boldness. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit of God that you see at work here in the early church. At the end of Acts 2, everything's going up and to the right. Everything's hunky-dory. Everybody's getting along together. Uh, They enjoy the favor of all the people. Everybody's sharing their stuff. Everything is just wonderful. If there was a soundtrack, you'd hear zippity-doo-dah in the background. It, It was like awesome. Everybody was, this is what church is supposed to be. Even to this day, churches look, as DJ pointed out last week, churches look at Acts 2, the end of Acts 2, and go, that's what the church is. And I would say, yes, it is. But actually, the church is a lot more like Acts 3 and 4. When the record scratches, and zippity-doo-dah goes away. And now, something scary, like you would hear in a horror movie, starts to play. Because all of a sudden, the church gets introduced to its next best friend. Its name is persecution. And then the gut check comes. Okay, are you really in this... Can God really depend on you? Or are you just in it for yourself? Are you in it as long as it's not long or hard or difficult? As long as people will still think you're cool? As long as people will still respect you? As long as this happens? Now, you can apply the same lessons to your own personal life for sure. But this is really about gut check for the church. It all starts innocently enough. Acts chapter 3 opens. It's 3 o'clock. They're getting close to three. Peter and John say, let's go to the prayer service over at the temple. So they do. They're just going to pray. No big deal. They get there, and right at the entry point to the temple, which was kind of the uh, uh, 7-Eleven parking lot of its day, uh, it was the, the, uh, the stoplight where everybody, you know, uh, stands with their sign saying, I need food. It was the beggar's concourse where everybody had to pass through there. There's a man being carried uh, in He's lame, more than 40 years. They set him down there, and he starts begging for money. Peter and John come by, and he says, hey, can I have some money? Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold have I none. But as the kid's song says, but what I have, I give thee. That's how I learned it. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So he says, how about a new set of legs? I can give you that. I don't have any money, but I got... I got healing power. How about that? Would you like your legs back? And the man gets up, struggles to his feet, and all of a sudden he's got strength back in his legs, and it says he goes around walking and leaping and praising God. Now, this draws a crowd because everybody knew this guy. Everybody knew this guy. Yesterday, I was at Vaughn's over on Felicita, and I walked into the bathroom, and there's a homeless guy that has been here the entire time I've lived in Escondido. I know him by name. He knows me. We had a great conversation. And if I saw him driving a Mercedes into the parking lot, I would go, what happened? What happened to this guy? This guy, they know, he lays at the entrance, and he begs for money. And now he's up walking around, and the text leads you to believe that he kind of grabs on to Peter and John. He's not leaving. I mean, he goes, these are my new best friends. And so he's going around walking, leaping, praising God, cuddling, essentially, with Peter and John. And it's drawing a crowd. So Peter then, seeing the opportunity, like he did at Pentecost, when the tongues of fire fall, and everybody goes, what the heck is happening? And he starts preaching. He does it now. In chapter 3, he goes, here's a crowd. Time to start preaching. And he goes off, and he gives a mini version of the Pentecost sermon, the same one You prayed to God, the prophets prophesied that the Messiah would come, God sent the Messiah, and you crucified him. So the answer to that is, repent. 
So he does that. Then, right as he says repent, here comes the, another round of the soundtrack. It's a, a more Wizard of Oz, uh, oi, 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 uh, the flying monkey song comes in. Here comes the temple guard, and they're going to put an end to this. Acts 3, there they are. It's almost 5 o'clock, it says. Or not almost 5, it's just when dusk is in my mind, so maybe it was uh, 4, and it just sun went down early. I don't know. But the sun's going down, and they go, hey, what are you guys doing? You can't talk like that. So they round them up. It's the end of the day. So they throw them in jail for the night. Peter and John. Now this begins, this is really the first time since the cross, on the other side of the cross, that people have really been persecuted for Jesus and for his sake. We often forget, I mean, there are 215 million people who are Christians and believers who live under what you would call extreme persecution. Meaning, if they find out you're a Christian, you're going to jail, you're going to be killed, something like that. 215 million Christians live under that kind of a, of a rule. Uh, in North Korea alone, there's more than 50,000 Christians that are either in prison or in work camps because they're Christians. More than 50,000, okay? It all starts here. That moment when people said, no, you can't say that. They throw them in jail. Morning comes. They bring them back out. But while they did it, while they were spending their night in jail, their words, what they said, what Peter said, takes root in the people that heard him, the people who saw the miracle. And it says that they believed. Many people believed, in fact, so the church swells from 3,000 to 5,000. So Peter and John are brought in the morning after jail, brought before the council and asked point blank, how did you do that? By what power or in whose name did you do that? And it says, Peter, comma, Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. That's a moniker in the New Testament that lets you know somebody's about to do something bold. In the book of Acts, it may, means that, it may mean that they don't live through it. But they're about to do something bold because God asked them to do it. Just Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, preaches then his typically blunt message, again, about rebellion against God's Messiah, but that the risen Lord is moving through the church and that they have healed this man by the power of the risen Christ. And then he adds this in Acts 4.12. You can imagine how this went over. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And then listen to this. The council, it says, is amazed at their boldness, for they could see that they were ordinary, uneducated men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So again, that echoes the, the night of the betrayal of Jesus when Peter denied Christ. But now he's full of the Holy Spirit. And so now he's, he's bold. Yeah, I'm with him. And by the way, there's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. Woo, he's different now. Something has changed. Something has clicked. Little cowering, sniveling Peter's gone. This guy is a fire-breathing dragon for Christ now. I mean, he is absolutely... Uh, a force to be reckoned with. Now, they can't deny the miracle that took place, so they basically say, you're on double secret probation. Don't do it again. And they sternly warn them not to preach about Jesus anymore. So you'd think they'd just go on their merry way. But Peter goes, nope. Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We can't stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. 
So then the council threatened them further. This is Acts 4, 19-22. But they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. Now look at the reversal. Look who's scared of the people. The religious rulers are scared, and Peter and John are not. The tables have flipped. They didn't know how to punish him without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. All right, let's pull out a couple of applications from this, and then we're going to move forward in the text. Boldness will sometimes attract people who are not bold. It has a way of inspiring people who know that they wouldn't have the guts to do something. The boldness of Peter and John is contrasted with the cowardice of those in power. And so they continue to keep speaking regardless of the circumstances. And the religious leaders are making their decisions based on their fear of the people. But it's that moment when people stand back and you go, man, I don't think I could have done that. Even something as basic. You go to a, a sporting event and they have the military stand and everybody applauds them. Okay, We're applauding the service, sure, but there are a lot of people that, that serve. Teachers, things like that. But what we're really applauding is bravery. Because I don't know if I could do that. Right? We're inspired by people who won the Purple Heart. Because it says they did something brave. Nobody celebrates cowards. Who celebrates somebody who could have done something great but was too scared? Bravo. What inspires people are, are people and, and groups of people that are willing to do something uncommonly brave. When Christians demonstrate boldness, we witness, not recklessness, Holy Spirit-empowered boldness, we witness simply through the boldness itself. Jesus' boldness at the cross converts the Roman centurion on its own. Surely he was the Son of God. Why did he say that? He said it because he knows that nobody had taken that kind of beating without being flipped. They knew how to torture somebody into renouncing whatever their little heresy of the day was. And Jesus didn't. He went all the way to the cross, meaning he believes it. He's authentic. He watches what Jesus endures, and he goes, surely he was the Son of God. Bravery and courage is not something that can be outsourced by the church. We can't hire somebody to be bold in our place. It's the calling of every Christian. Secondly, boldness is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Courage is not having no filter. All right? just, just spewing stuff or just doing stuff recklessly because you have no sense of personal responsibility or care for others around you. It's not that. It's different. My, my, my daughter, Anna, see right over here, she's 17 now, but when she was about seven... Uh, we were sitting at a funeral, and I was not performing the funeral at the time. We were just there to attend out of respect for the family. But I was the minister at the church where I was serving at the time. And, and so Anna was there, and, and in funerals where you need your kids to be quiet, it's a, it's a challenge when you've got little kids, right? Um, so we're trying to keep her. Olivia's like five. Uh, Nora was still uh, uh, in, in the eye of God, I guess, at that point. Um, <laughs> But we're sitting there in that funeral, and it was one of these funerals where they kind of open-miked everything. You ever been to one of those where if anybody wants to say anything about whoever, come on up and, and do whatever. And, and depending on who it is, it can go very short or it can go a very long time. This was a long, long funeral. 
to the point that even I've been to my share of funerals over the years. I mean, hundreds probably, and, and I was going, wow, this is long. Em's trying to do everything she can, pinch, tweak, uh, death threat with the eyes, you know, everything she can to keep the kids in line, just to keep them from being disrespectful. So we give them a, the proverbial construction paper. Here you go, here's something color on the, on the paper to keep them, keep them quiet or whatever. Well, we were, it was right when American Idol was really being popular and, and our daughter Anna loved the show. And one of the things she noticed was that, that, that people, all the fans would, would hold signs up, you know. <laughs> and so uh, we get into this thing, we're an hour, hour 20 into the funeral and um, we, Em and I kind of glance over, and there's Anna holding up a sign in the funeral, oh and it says, boring, <laughs> on the, <laughs> yeah, she goes, boring, and of course, we look over, and we're like, oh, you know, like, and we're like this, and, and it's like, <laughs> okay, what she did was not brave, it's when you don't have a filter, all right, that's what you do. You, you, you did something that most people, if you had done it on purpose for a, for a cause, maybe it's brave, all right? But when you don't have a filter, it's, it, that's one thing, right? When you do something on purpose because you know God has called you to do it. When you know God's called you to do it. And he says, I want you to go there. And you look like Moses saying, nah, not me, yes, you. But I don't speak well. It's fine. Take Aaron with you. Go. Really? Yes. Go. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Preach the sermon. I don't like him, Lord. I don't care. Go anyway. <laughs> Buy a ticket. Head in the other direction. Intercepted by the whale. Right? Noah, build an ark. Joshua, take the people. I want you to march around the wall. Six times in complete silence, do it once each day. On the seventh day, do it seven times. And when you're done, that huge wall, four feet thick, bigger than any wall you've ever seen, all you got to do is yell and it'll fall to the ground. Oh, really? Walls fall down when we scream. I see. Sometimes we demonstrate our faith most powerfully when we walk in obedience, when it's hard. And that's what Peter and John do, and they go to jail for it. So they get released. Here's what happens next, Acts 4, 23 to 31. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God, O sovereign Lord, creator of the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you've anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. Now here's their real prayer. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus and after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Look at how the prayer starts. Oh, sovereign Lord. That's a prayer that says, God, we know you can do anything you want to. We trust it will happen if you want it to. So please, intervene. Jump in. Now notice what Peter and John do first. They get released from jail. Do they circle the wagons? They get the apostles together. They go drink wine at their local winery because they're, they're tired after a night and need to blow off some steam. They go to the church. They go to the church. Peter and John. Peter and John. The rock on whom God would, says he's going to build his church and the apostle Jesus loved. They go to average believers. And they tell them what's going on, and they pray together. I might suggest, sister and brother, that when your knees are knocking, that when you're terrified of something, when you feel threatened by the evil one, that you run toward the church rather than away from the church. I will tell you, having been a pastor for north of 20 years, one of the ways I know something is going on in a person's life is that they vanish. They vanish because they feel like they've got to circle the wagons. That they don't want anybody to know their marriage is struggling. They don't want anybody to know how depressed they are. They don't want anybody to know that they're just struggling with alcohol. They don't want to know, let anybody know that they're just not sure. They hate themselves at the moment. They don't want anybody in their business. They circle the wagons, not realizing that the source of water is on the other side of the wagons. Take a lesson from Peter and John, sisters and brothers. we got to do this. They go and they recognize we need the church. The apostles needed the church. But I don't. Peter and John needed them. But I don't. Right. They go toward the church. They need the prayers of the church. Everybody does. So many people choose the approach of circling the wagons when things get tough. Again, just the water's on the other side of the wagons then. Sometimes we need to borrow boldness from one another. Borrow joy, as I put it in our own group. Our, our group will get together some nights, and sometimes, I'm not going to lie, I mean, Em and I have been people in all day long, and we're both wild extroverts. We go for days hanging out with people and draw energy from it. But even then, sometimes me and Em will get a little like, oh, man, sweatpants, fireplace, sounds pretty good. Or, you've, or you've, you, you had a, a bad morning or at church, or, or you got some... Some, uh, somebody picked on you in the afternoon, you know? And so you're just like, oh, your kids drive you crazy, whatever it is. And you kind of want to just circle the wagons. You just kind of want to go, oh, you know, it's important. I just got to have some me time. I have rarely been glad I did that. And almost every time that I have forced myself toward the church and leaned into the church, I have come out with more strength than I have when I went in. Wednesday night church, when I was a little boy, was the bane of my existence. Going on Wednesday night, and I have vivid memories of going to Wednesday night church in my baseball uniform, covered in dirt. I was exhausted. Uh, my arm was often sore. And I would go in, and I was like, oh, we've got to go through this long, stinking prayer thing at the end. And I didn't understand, again, why it was so important to my parents. They needed the prayers of the church. They drew strength from the prayers of the church. Oh, I get it now. 
I get it now. That when I see you guys coming through the doors, I draw strength from that. And I hope that I can return that favor when you're going through something or when you need to borrow something from me. You need some joy, you need some boldness, you need something like that, that I've got something to give you in the name of Christ. If nothing else, to just remind you that the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to give you whatever it is that you need and to sit there and, and, and to pray with you. But don't, sister and brother, what a mistake to let Satan isolate you, to let him just kind of put, the, put the, the crime scene tape around your life to where nobody can go in or out. I mean, the prayer here is that God would give him the power to speak with boldness and to open the eyes of the faithless to the glory of Jesus Christ. God fills them with the Spirit, and they go and they speak the Word of God with boldness. Now, this can make people nervous uh, sometimes because boldness we equate with harshness or with saying whatever's on our mind. But again, courage is not having no filter. It's having a purpose. It's knowing whom you believe and, and speaking His Word when it could mean something pleasant. It often doesn't. We often assume it would, and sometimes it's Pentecost, and everybody responds. But character, the kind of character that we're trying to develop, is powered by boldness. Or it's powered by boldness. Uh, there was a few, few years ago, at, uh, I, was at a, I, I went to the Willow Creek Leadership Summit back in uh, Chicago, and there's a guy named Jack Grappel. He's a sports psychologist and um, trainer of athletes, so he helps both the mind and the body. And he played the funniest video. It was a drill where he, it was like you had to run through this forest and there was a fence with a bow on it. And you had to untie the bow, take it off the fence and run back. So you're running through the forest and then he said to the groups, he said, now there's one thing you need to know. There's a wild boar on the loose in the forest. Okay, and wild boars, and he, he told them what wild boars can do to people. They're mean, they can hurt you. So if you see a wild boar, you should stay away from it or run faster. Okay? So he sends them off into the forest, and then he and his comrades uh, are over off to the side making wild boar noises as they run through. There is no boar in the forest. He just made it up. But they have the, the ability to, to make the noises, and so they wait. So the first group that goes out is a group of NFL players. And they start going through the forest, and right at just the right time, right about the time they get to the ribbon, they, you know, they make the noise of the wild boars, and every one of them absolutely freaks out and heads the other way. Every single one, okay? <laughs> so you see these big, you know, hulking dudes that, you know, they hear it, and off they go. The next group that go out is a, is a group of CIA operatives. So they go out, and they make the noise, and every one of them to a person drops down into attack position. Every single one. Now, what's the difference between those two? One doesn't know what's going on. They have a lot of size. Probably wouldn't have a, lot of t a, a very tough time with a wild boar, most of those guys. If you're 300 pounds and 6'6", you'll do all right. But they're afraid. The CIA operatives have confidence in their training, and they go in expecting a battle. So when it happens, they, they don't run, they drop into war mode, right? Man, what a mistake we make when we expect that if we're doing the will of God, everything's going to be easy. So when we're told by Paul that our, our battle's not against 
flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers of this present darkness, and that we're just supposed to take up the full armor of God. He's not trying to get us ready for, you know, ballet. He's trying to get us ready for battle. And so when we read stories like this, we need to prepare ourselves mentally for what lies ahead, which is victory, but it's likely to lead through some tough times. Christians know that for them to live is Christ and to die is gain. They aren't afraid of opposition, or at least they carry with them the full armor of God and are ready to get into battle position when they sense danger. It has never, ever, ever been the size of the fighter that brings victory over fear. It's courage, whether you're talking about David and Goliath or you're talking about the lowly carpenter from Nazareth, the ordinary uneducated men like Peter and John. It's not always the education or the strength or the strategy or anything like that. It's just the Holy Spirit and the boldness he provides. So most of us, sisters and brothers, need more power, not not different circumstances. What would I have prayed for? I probably would say, God, they're picking on us. Get rid of them. Help them not pick on us. Right? I mean, if something, some challenge is there, you pray for the removal of the obstacle. But that's not what they do. They don't say, get rid of them, torch them. They ask for boldness. Consider their threats. And... Give us the boldness to speak your word with boldness. How many spiritual mistakes have you made over the course of your life simply because you were afraid? Oh man, I I could make a big long list of those. I was afraid that if I did this, then this wouldn't happen. I was afraid that if I trusted that person, then this wouldn't happen. I was afraid that if I did this, this wouldn't happen. Fear is a very, very powerful conductor of human behavior. Satan knows this, which is why he whips up fear every chance he gets. Because if we hear the wild boar in the bushes, we're lucky to, likely to head that way instead of getting into an attack position and moving forward. And it'll also keep us, nine times out of ten, away from the church. Because we'll circle the wagons. Right? I don't want anybody to know what's going on. I don't want anybody to know that I ran away from the wild boar. I hope nobody saw that. You know, those kind of things. But Christians see the world differently. And they believe overwhelmingly in the, in the positive power of God. Psalm 18, 29. This may be my new favorite verse. In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. I love that verse. I don't have any tattoos, but if I get one, it might be that one. So let me ask you, what are you afraid of? What haven't you been able to accomplish because you're afraid? I killed a snake, not this week, but it was a while ago. Me and another guy in a parking lot was dropping Olivia off at summer camp. She was, I don't know, maybe six, seven years old at the time. It was down in Poway, and there was a, a pretty good-sized rattlesnake in the parking lot, and none of the kids could come in or out without that thing being gone. So... Most of the people dropping their kids off that morning were were moms. It was me and one other dad in the parking lot, and everybody looked at us like, well, are you guys going to do something? (laughs) So the dad goes, I have a revolver in my car. Do you want me to? to..." I go, firing a gun in a parking lot full of kids is a no-go. I don't think that's a good idea, bro. (laughs) 
uh, regardless of uh, the result, and even if you don't kill anybody, just that's bad. So the only, the only weapon we could find was a tennis racket, okay? Uh, and so he goes, tell you what, you take it, give it to me. And he says, you come down with it like this right on its neck, and if you miss, I'll be there to step on it so that it doesn't whip around and bite you, okay? So now again, the pressure's mounting because the light and all, everybody's staring and and like, are you guys going to be men or not? You know, and there, there's a lot of negative peer pressure from the moms and the kids. So, so this thing's, kind of, it's an angry snake. It's not like a little peaceful one, like in a ball. This thing's like, you know, hissing around, rattling and stuff. So it's kind of a rabid rattlesnake. So we decided, I don't know why we decided it would be a good idea. We did. Okay, I'll take the tennis racket and I'll, I'll get on its neck. And if I miss, then you can step on it. <sighs> So here we go, we go in, and up I go like, like Thor with a sword. And, I mean, I'll be darned, I nailed it. Bam, right on the neck. Crunch. That thing, its tail's flying around everything. And, oh, felt like a man. I was like, yeah! You know? And the other guy's just standing over there, running away from the thing thrashing around. I was like, what if I missed this? I'd be dead, man. But I did. I got it down, severed the head off. The body keeps going. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I was like, yes, I mean, I'm so lucky I got it. I am. I'm lucky I got it. But I did, and I got it. And I thought to myself, man, that feeling of I did something remotely brave. It was hulkifying. I mean, it was exhilarating to go, I was terrified of that, and I did it anyway. And because of that, guess what? That thing is dead, and the kids are going to camp. And my daughter has the coolest dad in the whole camp, right? That's what happens when you're brave. That's what happens when you're brave, right? Now, I could have ended badly, all right? But at the time, right, you're going, you're going somebody has to do it. So I love that passage where it says, yeah. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath his feet. His time's coming. Oh, he's going to land that one too. It'll be over. It'll be done. And we'll all find ourselves going, okay, what was, the, what was all the fuss about? I don't know what it would take to get you into the proverbial Christian closet where you wouldn't tell anybody you were Christian. You'd try to pretend you didn't go to church anywhere. You'd probably try to, you know. But um, whatever it is, that's your fear. So maybe it's time to pray to God for boldness to overcome it. Maybe. Because God doesn't get scared. He's never woken up and gotten terrified of something. He's not scared. And the Holy Spirit is God. So the more Holy Spirit I've got, the less fear I've got, the more boldness I've got. G.K. Chesterton wrote this, A soldier surrounded by enemies, if he is to cut his way out, needs to combine a strong desire for living with a strange carelessness about dying. He must not merely cling to life, for then he will be a coward and will not escape. He must not wait for death, for then there will be a suicide and he will not escape. Get this. He must seek his life in a spirit of furious indifference to it, 
He must desire life like water and yet drink death like wine. Whew. Like, that's kind of how you do spiritual warfare in the world we're in. When we pray, just like they did, God shakes the room. God shakes the room where they are, and everybody gets up and they're filled with boldness. It's like your, your phone vibrates, so notification, somebody's calling you, lets you know something's happening. Right there, that's what happens. That's how they know the Holy Spirit is going. And um, I want to pray for us this morning that God would shake the room. Because we're going to need some boldness.